Hi, welcome to the session. In this podcast, we will cover managing fetal macrosomia. Two terms are applied to excessive fetal growth, large for gestational age and macrosomia. The term large for gestational age generally implies a birth weight equal to or greater than the 90th percentile for a given gestational age. The term fetal macrosomia implies growth beyond an absolute birth weight, historically 4,000 grams or 4,500 grams, regardless of the gestational age, although establishing a universally accepted definition for macrosomia has been challenging. It is possible, based on published evidence, to recognize a continuum of risk based on the fetal birth weights or estimated fetal weights. Birth weights of 4,000 to 4,499 have an increased risk of labor abnormalities and newborn complications. Birth weights at 4,500 grams to 4,999 grams have an additional risk of maternal and newborn morbidity. Birth weights of greater than 5,000 grams or more have additional risks of stillbirth and additional neonatal mortality. A variety of risk factors predispose a newborn to macrosomia, including pre-existing maternal diabetes, uncontrolled gestational diabetes, maternal pre-pregnancy obesity, excessive gestational weight gain, maternal inter-pregnancy weight gain, a prior macrosomic infant having a post-term pregnancy, and maternal non-smoking status. Anthropomorphic studies suggest that the macrosomia produced by maternal glucose intolerance is different from macrosomia associated with other predisposing factors. Infants who are macrosomic because of maternal glucose intolerance tend to have greater total body fat, greater shoulder and upper extremity circumferences, greater upper extremity skin fold measurements, and smaller head to abdominal circumference ratios compared with macrosomic infants of women with Without diabetes. Of course, this all contributes to the increased risk of shoulder dystocia. Okay, next, let's talk about maternal morbidity associated with macrosomia. The primary maternal risk associated with macrosomia is an increased risk of cesarean delivery. Studies show that with birth weights greater than 4,500 grams, the risk of cesarean delivery for women attempting a vaginal birth is at least double that of controls. Almost all of the increased risk is attributed to labor abnormalities. The risk of postpartum hemorrhage and significant vaginal lacerations are also elevated with macrosomia. A case control study of risk factors for major obstetric hemorrhage, that's defined as greater than a liter, reported that a birth weight greater than 4,000 grams increased the risk of significant maternal blood loss. The risk of third degree and fourth degree lacerations is, of course, also increased twofold to threefold with macrosomia. Now, regarding fetal morbidity and mortality, the fetal injuries most commonly associated with macrosomia can be linked to shoulder dystocia and include fracture of the clavicle and damage to the nerves of the brachial plexus, specifically C5 and C6, which can produce herb Duchenne paralysis. Now, macrosomia is associated with a number of other risks to the newborn. These infants face an increased risk of depressed 5-minute APGAR score and increased rates of admission and prolonged admission to a neonatal ICU. 
Now, it's not clear whether most of these risks is a result of complications of birth itself or an increased risk of a non-reassuring status during delivery. Now, macrosomic newborns are also at risk to be overweight and obese later in life compared to normal weight newborns. Okay, now that we've discussed risk factors and maternal and fetal risks with the condition, well, how accurate is ultrasound measurement in determining fetal weight? Well, we have to remember, of course, that ultrasound using biometric assessments, usually of the bipyramidal diameter, head circumference, femur length, and mainly abdominal circumference, simply use a computer-generated formula called the Hadlock formula programmed into ultrasound machines to give an estimated fetal weight. These calculations are not very accurate to truly predict macrosomia and can actually vary from the true birth weight anywhere from 15 to 20% of the actual birth weight. This inaccuracy of the ultrasound led ACOG to develop the guidelines which we will discuss in just a moment. Okay, so according to the ACOG practice bulletin, although the diagnosis of fetal macrosomia can be imprecise, prophylactic cesarean delivery can be considered for suspected fetal macrosomia with an estimated fetal weight, remember that's done by ultrasound, of at least 5,000 grams, that's 5 kilos, in women without diabetes and at least 4,500 grams in women with diabetes. Remember that this is mainly for the prevention of shoulder dystocia. However, planned cesarean delivery for suspected fetal macrosomia is still pretty controversial in the literature. Okay, let's take a look at the 5,000 gram or the 5 kilo cutoff in more detail. According to the college, despite the poor predictive value of the estimated fetal weight of more than 5,000 grams by ultrasound and a lack of evidence supporting cesarean delivery at any gestational age, most, but not all, authorities agree that consideration should be given to C-section in this situation. Again, that's 5,000 grams in women without diabetes. With an estimated fetal weight of greater than 4,500 grams, a prolonged second stage of labor or arrestive descent in the second stage is an indication for cesarean birth. Among all infants with birth weights exceeding 5,000 grams, there are reports of cesarean delivery rates of 35 to 60 percent, brachial plexus injury rates of 7 to 11 percent, and neonatal death rate as high as 1.9 percent. Now, in contrast, despite reporting a 7% absolute rate of brachial plexus injury among vaginally delivered infants weighing more than 5,000 grams, some investigators suggest that ultrasound-derived fetal weight estimates alone should not be used to determine the route of delivery because of the poor accuracy of ultrasound for determining prenatally if this threshold has been exceeded. Nonetheless, most agree that 5,000 grams or 5 kilos is a big kid, and most would offer a primary cesarean section in women without diabetes at that birth expected birth weight. Now remember that according to the college, suspected fetal macrosomia is not an indication for induction of labor simply because of the baby's birth weight or expected birth weight because induction does not improve maternal or fetal outcomes. Evidence from retrospective cohort studies examining a policy of induction of labor in term patients with suspected fetal macrosomia is actually inconsistent. Some reports show that induction of labor increases the rate of C-section without reducing shoulder dystocia or newborn morbidity. Others suggest a slight decrease or no effect on the risk of C-section and no difference in the rate of shoulder dystocia with induction of labor. Now, because of that, ACOG once again states that simply having suspected macrosomia is not an indication 
for induction of labor at term. Okay, so as we wrap up this session, the college and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend against delivery before 39 weeks and zero days simply because of macrosomia unless other issues make it medically indicated. Whether intervention is better than expected management for suspected large for gestational age infants and the gestational age at which delivery should be performed are actually unclear. Although the meta-analysis of available trials raises questions for further study, it's not clear that a reduction in shoulder dystocia would be seen with induction of labor at 39 weeks or at another gestational age. At this time, according to the college, and until additional studies are reported, the college continues to recommend against induction of labor for a suspected large for gestational age infant at any gestational age. Suspected fetal macrosomia is also not a contraindication to a trial of labor after cesarean. Women undergoing TOLAC with a macrosomic fetus have a lower likelihood, however, of vaginal birth after cesarean delivery than women attempting TOLAC who have a non-macrosomic fetus. Although success rates of TOLAC decrease the more the infant's birth weight exceeds 4,000 grams, this effect does not decrease absolute VBAC success rates to less than 50% in women who have had a previous vaginal delivery or a previous successful VBAC. Once again, according to the college, suspected fetal macrosomia is not a contraindication in and of itself to a trial of labor after cesarean. All right, well, that wraps up our review of the ACOG Practice Bulletin on Managing Fetal Macrosomia. Excerpts have been taken from the Practice Bulletin number 173 from the college. We'll see you next time.